Oh my. What happens when we turn certain folks loose with the camera and a microphone? Um, I want you to say, Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Now say it like Drew would, Les Miserables. <laughs> the, uh, those words are, are translated various ways from French as the miserable, you probably could have guessed that, the wretched poor or the poor ones. This is one of my favorite movies, um, and I think it's because I can relate to the main character. His name is Jean Valjean, and he has a past. Anybody here have a past that you're not proud of? Uh, we all have deep, dark secrets that we would not want even our closest friends to know, much less our, uh, our greatest enemies. And in this... Um, in this movie, you're going to see a demonstration of grace that changes the trajectory of a man's life. And um, I guess when I think about Christianity, I think about the church, I think about this movie because um, grace is the one thing we're supposed to be able to offer that people can't get anywhere else. So watch this opening scene and, and notice how this uh, main character, Jean Valjean, how he is shown grace and watch his reaction to the grace. going to murder you. What's that? A joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other. I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. I stole but I paid for it. Nineteen years in chains. So they let me out and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with a yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon and then what? Starve to death? <laughs> 19 years and now the real punishment begins <laughs> man can be unjust man, not God alright whoever you are, thank you a meal and a bed to sleep in a real bed and in the morning I'll be a new man
Is anybody there? I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam, you know, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. ransom you from fear and hatred. Now I give you back to God. What I want to know is, does anyone here today need to be ransomed from your past? It just dogs you. Uh, yeah, we've got some folks raising hands. Yeah. Um, the only way you'll ever be ransomed from your past is through grace. Um, there are two words in Christianity that, that we've got to understand before we, we can make progress in the Christian life. And they are mercy and grace. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Um, if you had, had happened to you what the bishop had happened to him, would you have been filled with mercy or would you have wanted to see justice? You fed the convict. You were nothing but kind to him. You, you allowed him to sleep in your home and he assaults you and robs you. Is mercy the first thing that comes to your mind? No. What did he deserve? Punishment. Punishment. He deserved justice. 
So mercy is not getting what you deserve. He received mercy, but he also received grace. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. And um, Valjean received grace from the bishop, and it changed him. We were talking last night. We, we uh, had a soccer game yesterday in Tyler, and we went to see Pirates of the Caribbean 3 because Caleb had a free ticket, and it expires July 5th, and the movie's not here because they don't stay here very long. So anyway, we go to the movie, and we're driving back in the dark, and somehow we got on the, the topic of one the last time. I, I don't know if it's the last time. I think it was the last time maybe I got stopped. No, it wasn't. I know it wasn't now that I say that. That I got stopped for... Um, Moderately exceeding the speed limit. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> Jessica said nobody's followed me. If you haven't followed me, then you, you yeah, anyway, never mind. Hey, uh, Dwayne said that he ran off and left me the other night when we went to Freebird. So anyway, we were telling Hannah this story. When Hannah was a baby, she hated, both Caleb and Hannah hated being in a car seat. We're coming back from Tyler, and she is screaming bloody murder. If you've ever had a baby scream for an hour, you understand your desire to get out of that closed environment with that little creature whom you love. Um, and so I'm exceeding the speed limit. I'm really not driving that fast my standards, but, you know, obviously the DPS patrolman thought differently. So he pulls me over. Well, Caleb and Rachel, you know, they're like, oh, they're scared. They are freaking out because, you know, the lights are going and we have to pull over. And it was right there when you're coming through Pert, you know, when it comes back to four lanes and, and this, this um, uh, uh, speed challenge driver was in front of me. And when I got to the four lanes, I accelerated. And he was sitting right there as I got to my peak speed. So we pull over. Hannah's just screaming. He walks up the car and he says, Sir, do you know you're speeding? I said, Yes, sir, I do. And he says, Is there any reason for you to be driving so fast? And I said, My daughter is checking out of reality. She's just gone. And she is. Now what's funny is, Janie actually says, when he goes back to do his little whatever, you know, to see if I'm a wanted criminal, she says, if she stops crying, I'm pinching her, so she'll cry some more. Anyway, but we didn't do that. We didn't have to do that. He comes back and he said, Mr. Washburn, I'm just going to give you a warning. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Because all I was thinking was, insurance goes up 10%, 10%. I cannot afford insurance to go up. So he gives us mercy, right? We deserved, I deserved a ticket. But he gave us mercy. Now, grace would have been if he'd gone back to his car and gotten $10,000 and walks back and hands that in the window. Did I deserve 10000 bucks? No, that's grace. You understand mercy and grace. And Valjean received both of those, and it changed his life. Um, grace is an extravagant gift. And what the bishop did for Valjean, that would be an extravagant gift to a friend. But to an enemy who has robbed you and assaulted you after nothing but kindness, grace is extravagant. And here's the first point on your listening guide. Grace stuns the recipient. You want to know if, if, if you've dispensed grace? You look at the face of the person that you've bestowed grace upon. And it's usually dumbfounded. Why are you doing this? And it often moves people to tears. Uh, and so I wonder today... When was the last time you received grace? And then the second question is, when was the last time you showed grace to others? Um, grace blows people's minds. Here's, here's what the Bible says about it in Romans 3.24. God did it for us 
out of sheer generosity, that means grace, out of sheer generosity, He put us in right standing with Himself. So, we didn't deserve to be in right standing with God. Grace, sheer generosity, look what it says next, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in. Have you been in a mess? We all said we've got a past. We may be in the middle of a mess right now. God, through grace, takes us out of that mess, many times walking straight through the consequences of our sin, and He restores us to a place that's right with Himself. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where He always wanted us to be, and He did it by means of Jesus Christ. Sheer generosity takes us from where we don't really want to be and puts us where God wants us to be. And today as a church, we have the opportunity to share grace with some individuals who have sinned. Through their choices to sin, they have brought shame on themselves and they readily admit that. They've brought shame on God, they've brought shame on the church. And we're going to have an opportunity to share grace with them. What I want you to do is I want you to listen, not as one who sits in judgment, because that's not your right. The only right you have is to listen as one who has received grace. And then be ready to dispense it to them. Amanda. Am I using it? Yeah. Okay. Hi. My name is Amanda. I am a grateful believer in Christ who struggles with anger, being content, and lust. Amen. <laughs> That's how we open and celebrate. So. Okay. Um, more specifically, I have had an immoral relationship with the current band leader. I am no longer in that relationship and have asked God for his forgiveness. I know that I have not only sinned against God, Him, myself, but I've also sinned against you as my, as my church family. Um, so as I've asked God for His forgiveness, I ask you as my church family to forgive me um, for what I've done. So. Thank you. Love you. Love you. Love you. I'm a grateful believer in Christ and I struggle with lust, pride, turning my back on God, making bad decisions. And uh, I'm truly sorry for the people that I've hurt because I've had an inappropriate relationship with someone 
in the church. Okay. I'm really sorry, and I'm asking you for your forgiveness. Now, I know a lot of you came today and you're saying, what in the world is going on? Um, last week, I made a statement that there had been, there had been sin in our church such that, um, that it affected the whole church, and many of you didn't even know it. Uh, let me just walk through what the process that we've gone through so you'll be very clear um, on, on how this has come about. Two weeks ago, I became aware that there was some sexual sin um, specifically involving two members of our band. Um, and they are not here. I'm not going to mention their names, but I'm going to make it very clear. It was our worship leader and our drummer. Um, I do that because there are other members of our band that, that we want to protect their innocence. Um, now, what the Bible instructs us to do is when any time there is sin, we are supposed to not take people's word for it. So I'm going to tell you just straight out. If I hear something about you, I will come to you. I'll come with a witness to protect you and to protect me. So I went to all four of these individuals, Amanda and Alexis and, and the two men, I said, this is what I've heard. I'm here not as an accuser, but I just have to know if this is true. They all looked me in the eye and they said, it is true. Um, Amanda was, was in a relationship with the worship leader. They had been dating and it, it became sexual. And it was going even as he was leading in worship. Um, it stopped a few months ago. Amanda came and confessed. Um, Alexis um, was in a relationship um, with the drummer and, and even one instance with the worship leader. Um, I had talked to her, told her, regardless, both of these women told the men, regardless of whether you stand up or not, we're going to love you and we're going to forgive you. However, in, in going and sharing with the, our uh, board what was going on, the board said, here's what, has, here's what we feel needs to happen if there's going to be a restoration. The purpose of confrontation is always restoration. The purpose of confrontation is never to, to condemn, to, um, to hurt. It is to restore. And so we went to all of these people and said, we love you. We want you to come back to our church. We, we pray that you will be a part of our church for years to come. However, you cannot be in leadership right now because there has to be a hardness of the heart if you're involved in blatant sin while in a leadership position. So these two ladies have stood before us today and taken the first step in restoration We've not even, as a board, we've not even discussed, you know, all of the steps to go through. But the first step is a humble heart. And, and you know, just read the Bible. It's filled with people who sinned. Um, if, if sin disqualifies you from any future service, none of us can serve. I cannot be a pastor um, because I am a sinner. It is grace that restores you. But the other thing is, if you're going to be in leadership, you have to agree not to carry on these relationships anymore. 
And these ladies are standing before you today saying, I'm messed up. Um, I'm asking for forgiveness. And this is the first step on the road to restoration. And there will be a point where we say, we believe your heart is tender towards God again and we're ready for you to lead. Because they've done some great work. They've done some incredible things with, with our teenagers, with our children. Um, and, and my prayer is that our church will learn a lesson from this. Number one, sin. There is no such thing, like we talked about earlier, there's no such thing as little sins. God is perfect and He cannot allow imperfect people into His presence. So He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He sent Christ to be that sacrifice to make a way. That's what, that's what grace was. We read in Romans. Now, let me read to you um, our, what our response is, because the Bible is equally clear on our response. In Ephesians 4.32, be gentle with one another, sensitive. It's not usually what you want to do when, when you've been sinned against. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, we didn't deserve grace. Romans 5 says that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We cannot do anything to earn the grace of God. If you earn it, it's no longer grace. So, just as thoroughly as Christ forgave us and extended grace to us, we are supposed to extend grace to others. And so we have no choice in the matter. Actually, it doesn't matter what you think. What matters in this instance is what God thinks. It's very clear from Scripture, we are to extend grace. And forgive. Now, forgiveness and trust, trust needs to be rebuilt. Trust takes a long time to build. It takes longer to rebuild. And part of the consequences of sin is that you break trust and you have to start building that bridge one brick at a time, moving back to the area of trust. Now, the consequences of sin, the Bible tells us in James 3.1. Dear brothers and sisters... Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged by God with greater strictness. It's not a stretch at all to say leadership in the church, not just teachers. So, I'm a pastor. I am under strict judgment for my sins. As leaders in the church, you're under strict judgment for your sins. We... Since God is not a, this elderly grandfather who just winks at sin and says, Oh, it's okay. It's all right. We can't do that either. So we have to walk the fine line of grace, but also removing them. Because, because sin really shows that there is, there's a problem in our hearts, and we need to get that problem right before we, we lead. The folks that are teaching our children, the folks that are standing up here, we could not allow them to continue without some type of consequences because we have children looking up. My son looks up to these guys, these ladies. And so he has to understand at 12 that if you're going to make a choice to sin, there are consequences that follow you. And the really sad thing is these consequences follow you and Satan will try to... Um, beat you up with these consequences for the rest of your life. That's where the church comes in and says, we're a family. I got to hang out with my brother for a couple of days last week, and we hadn't, we hadn't hung out in a long time. And he just started pouring out his heart to me, and I, as he poured out his heart, I just felt the love for my brother grow. 
And I can honestly say, all of these folks that I've talked to, my heart, I love them. And I hurt for them. And I will walk with them through this process of restoration. There will be no condemnation. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. But there's a process to walk through for restoration. Um, well, how are we going to know if spiritual progress has been made? Well, the, when Jesus was asked, what is, what is the greatest commandment in all the Bible? It was actually a trick question, but Jesus had the right answer, so he didn't mind the trick question. Greatest commandment in all the Bibles, he says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he, just for, for kicks, he adds the second one. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all of the law and the prophets revolve around these two commands. So if you boil all of the Bible down, it's this, love God, love people. And when we look at our lives, if you want to know if you're growing spiritually, you say, six months ago to today... Am I more loving towards God and more loving towards people? If the answer is yes, you're making spiritual progress. If the answer is no, you're going away from Christ. So we, we, as we walk through this process with these folks, we are watching to see if their heart is tender, if they remain humble, if they, if they continue patterns of sin. If you go back into sin, we're still going to love you, but you can't be a leader because there are some issues you need to get well first before you become a leader. Now, if they don't, humble themselves and confess, then, then they can never be a leader again in our church. Now, we started this church. We talked about it last week. We started this church for people who are far from God. And we said, we know that people who are far from God have sin in their lives, and we love people who have sin in their lives, and we welcome them to our church. And so some people are sitting there going, am I going to have to stand up and confess my sins? No, no. If you're not a church member and you're not in leadership, we don't have the sin Gestapo spying at your house. We don't go look in your fridge to see if there's alcoholic beverages. I don't give a rip. But if you sign up for leadership, you are saying to God, to the church, to everyone, you're saying that I am placing myself in a leadership position and I am under stricter judgment. Okay, does that make sense? So, so breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> We're not trying to... I, I can't tell you how... Um, when I first heard about it, I didn't sleep. Because I actually laid in bed. I was at my brother's house. I laid in bed and said, God, we will not survive as a church. Can't do it. Can't survive. I was distraught. And I woke up the next day and talking with my brother and, and just, you know, several different folks. My perspective changed because folks are like, how big do you think God is? He's bigger than this. It's not the first time this has happened. It's not the last time it's going to happen in a church. Walk through the biblical process and watch what God will do. And from that point on, my whole perspective changed to this is an opportunity we have to do it right. To love people, to confront sin, walk that fine line, and the fame of God will be heard if we do it right. So my whole focus is we're going to walk through the process. I don't care how long it takes, we will walk through the process and we will pray through the process. 
Our church is for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You heard both of them say, I'm a grateful believer in Christ. Christ does not identify them by their sins. He identifies them as a child of God. And so when we are in Celebrate Recovery, we identify ourselves as I am a believer in Christ who struggles with, and then you name the issue, because we are not going to allow that issue to define us. Now, we said that grace is extravagant. It stuns people, but there's a second thing. And if you want to follow this along in your Bible, this is, what, this is another favorite story. This is in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. Grace gives us God's vision, is the second thing. Grace allows us to see other people with the same eyes that God sees them. And this just blows my mind, and there's a scene in the movie that goes with it. But let's, let's read this first. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. I don't need to explain that, do I? There's not a lot of theological um, jargon that goes along there. She's caught having sex with uh, someone else's husband. Okay. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? I just want to read to you what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 22 through 24. He says... If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the other man's wife must be killed. In this way, the evil will be cleansed from Israel. Suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin, who is engaged to be married, and he has sexual intercourse with her. If this happens within a town, you must take both of them to the gates of the town and stone them to death. The woman is guilty because she did not scream for help. The man must die because he violated another man's wife. In this way, you'll be, you will cleanse the land of evil. Sexual immorality? Pick up a rock, hit them with the rocks until they die. That's what, that's what they're, they're trying to trap Jesus. Check it out. This, this is what changes Christianity from every other religion. They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. So picture the scene. They got big rocks. Just picture a brick. They were ready to chunk the bricks. Give us the word, Jesus, we're going to kill her. Where's the man? I don't know. That's another story, another sermon, another day. Both of them were guilty. They pick up the stone, and they have them. And Jesus says, if you're sinless, you judge. Starts drawing. Dunk, dunk. You share rocks and feet shuffling away in the sand. Because they realized they had no right. Look what Jesus says. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Jesus gave her a promise and a command. The promise was, I do not condemn you. The command was, stop sinning. 
Now, Jesus didn't sugarcoat the fact that she was sinning. He say, oh, it's an indiscretion. Temporary, like a judgment. He called it sin. Stop sinning. Um, but Jesus didn't define her by the sin. He looked past her sin. He looked to what she could become. And this is what's incredible about Christianity. Only those who receive grace can share it with others. I don't know if you've ever received a look of adoration from your parents. Maybe you haven't. And, and that's a sin your parents have committed. But if you've ever received a look of adoration from your parents in spite of your past, you get a little taste of what it is when God looks at you and sees what you can become. Well, that happens in the movie. Uh, Valjean takes in a dying prostitute. He, had, he, had, he didn't know that his company had fired her because she had a child out of wedlock. Well, she is forced to pay the rent somehow. She becomes a prostitute. She sells herself. She gets sick. Valjean takes her in. Watch this clip. Yes, 
Amanda and Alexis, God is your father, and in his eyes you've never been anything more than an innocent and beautiful woman. And we want to extend the same grace to you that God has extended to us. And we want to see you with the eyes that Christ sees. And so I'm just declaring that you are not identified by your sin. We see you as God sees you and as what you can become. Um, anytime I, I become judgmental, I'll pop in a video and see Christ on, on the cross. And when I see that, I quit comparing my sin to your sin. I don't look around. I look in the eyes of the one who died because of my sin. And it changes me. It changes my perspective. And then I look at you and I see you as God sees you. And I treat you as valuable, as valuable because God sees you as valuable. Now, there's one last scene I want to show you today. And I want you to understand this third point. Grace restores. Ungrace destroys. Throughout the movie, there's a policeman named Jovert who was actually a guard in the prison where Valjean was for 19 years. And he makes this unbelievable statement, Jovert does. He says, modern science tells us that a person is born with a predisposition to sin or not sin. So basically he's saying modern science says people are either good or bad. The Bible says we're all bad. <laughs> um, but Jovert pursues Valjean. He, he says no one can reform. You're a convict. And so he spends the rest of his life in this incredible pursuit of Valjean. Twice Valjean has the opportunity to kill Jovert, but because he's received grace, he has mercy on his life and grace on his life. And then at the very end of the movie, if you hadn't seen it, I'm going to ruin it. Um, Jovert has a chance to kill Valjean. Watch what happens. Bring him here. That is an important memo for the prefect. We'll explain what I've done with the prisoner. Make sure he sees it before breakfast, sir.
I'm glad I had time to myself. I needed to think about what you deserve. You're a difficult problem. I don't feel anything. You don't want to go back to quarries, do you? Inspector said he tried to live his life without breaking a single law. You know where that leads? To ungrace. The, the Old Testament, the law was given to show us that we can't keep it. Christ came to fulfill the law, to be perfect, and then to pay our debt. And so you saw the difference there. One life was stunned by grace, and it changed him, and he spent the rest of his life dispensing grace. The other life was characterized by ungrace, and it destroyed him. He said, the law does not allow me to be merciful. So he kills himself. I think that churches are typically filled with ungrace. I think that's why lost people avoid churches at all costs. Because you can get ungrace anywhere. Starts in kindergarten. Kids making fun of you. Grade school, junior high, oh my soul. Puberty zits. People are cruel. High school, college. Goes all the way to the workplace. It's in our neighborhoods. We see it on the evening news. Ungrace is everywhere. So why would anybody want to get in an organization that that shows ungrace? Sinful people were drawn to Jesus. Sinful people in our day are repelled by the churches. Something is wrong. It's this matter of grace. Every person is offered grace by God. Not everybody accepts it. And we want to be a church that dispenses grace. We will offer it to everyone. 
not everyone will accept. Um, the fact that these two ladies stood up today took great courage. I admire them and respect them. That does not make them superior to the, to the two who didn't stand up. It just means they're at a different place on the road to restoration. And if you see these two men, I hope you will shower them with grace and tell them that you love them and that there is always a place for them at new life. Because we are going to show grace no matter what it costs. So once you take your registration cards today and fill it out,